So, so the church needs to have a good grip on truth here. We can... We need to have an appreciation that black lives matter. We need to have an appreciation that police officers' lives matter, that life matters. We need to have that appreciation, but there needs to be some meat on those bones. And like last week where we described in the, in the altercation that we mocked, had a mock altercation here with James and myself, that <clears throat> you see, there was a moment when I needed justice for me. I had to have justice for me. And, and it was more powerful and it was stronger than a truth of the gospel in that moment. And in that moment, everybody loses. So the church needs to have a real grip on truth. And the truth is that power and authority are easy to abuse. There's probably not a parent here that hasn't felt like they overstepped their power at some point with their child. Where they felt like in their heart of hearts that I took that too far. There's a time for me in places of authority when I know I have taken it too far. I've gone beyond the intention of my authority. And what you'll see in the scripture is it describes a very interesting role of authority. It's, it really describes a scenario where they call it power under, or authority comes from below. Jesus has authority in my life because I gave it to him. And a dictator can lord over me, but only to a certain point. So power, greater power, greater authority are never the solution for human relationship. So I, I want to really challenge you. You can get wrapped up in a lot of details. Who was really at fault? But if you do that honestly, it will take you back to Adam and Eve. So a great place to begin is to help the world process through wrong and for them to know that the real solution is not to power up greater than the last one did. The real solution is found in Jesus and it's found in loving your enemy. I'm, I'm going I'm, to, I'm totally off point here, but I, I want to share this one last thing uh, about our African-American citizens in the United States. I've, I'm a student of history, um, a student of the race issue in our country going back several hundred years. And I want, I want to tell you, um, and, I, and I grew up um, with a, a mixed emotion toward 
African-Americans. I, I worked in, a, in an environment where it was always hostile for me because of that. And there was, always seemed to be an attitude. There always seemed to be a challenge to authority. As I began to study history, I'm amazed at my African-American brothers and sisters who through hundreds of years of slavery sang songs about Jesus. For hundreds of years, they survived on a hope that there was a Savior And, and generation after generation died and gave birth to generations that never saw that. I grieve over that. Now, when I was 12 or 13, here was my statement. You know, slavery ended about, you know, X hundred years ago. We need to get over it. We need to move on. Well, that's real easy for me to say. I'm a white middle class dude. But when I travel in other countries, and I know what it's like to be a minority, I know what it's like to be disliked and hated, I know what it's like to have my stuff taken from me because of what I look like. And I know it's just a small dose. So this is time for the church to share an answer that's not a political answer. It's not a political solution because it's not a political problem. It's a problem where people are afraid of one another, where people distrust one another, where people dislike one another. That's the problem. It's a problem that there's history of abuse both ways. That is a problem we have an answer to. That might have something to do with my sermon. I don't know, actually. So we're going to start on it. We're going to see if it fits together. But I challenge you. You see a police officer, pray for them. Even if you just see them going down the road. You see one up close, thank them. And if you feel so inclined, you see someone of minority, and many of you are of minority. You know, let them know they're African American. Black lives do matter. Whether you like that movement or not, that's not the point. Jesus would agree black lives matter. Thank you, Father, for this morning. Thank you, Lord, that uh, as this song was playing before us, Jesus, you died for just such a day as this.
You died for just these failures that we're experiencing today. And Lord, the second good news version of that is we were born for such a time as this. This is our time. And I pray, Lord, make the most of it in each of us. Maximize, Lord, our opportunities. Give us words of healing and grace. Let us be instruments that really go beyond political cause and effect. I pray for everybody here who has a bias, who has an opinion. I pray that that opinion would be surrendered into the solution of the gospel. I pray that every opinion here would be dipped and healed in the solution of the gospel. Let your church, Father, rise up and be the answer for such a time as this. Let us bring solution, not more segregation. Let us bring hope, not disillusionment. Let us bring unity and not separation. Let the church shine for what it was empowered to do and be. Lord, let us not pass up this moment as it's not in my neighborhood. Because we were made for such a time as this. Amen. I'm good, sort of. Distinguishing the people of God. We're concluding today, really, um, the message about mastering sin. It's been a a good message for me, and I've had a, a fair amount of good feedback, but it maybe isn't a good message for you. But my heart and hope is that we don't see sin as the instrument of guilt that the church puts over us or an individual puts over us, but that we see sin as our own personal condition that God has raised a challenge to, and that we could take the challenge of God toward our sin condition very seriously. We would see it as a hope we would push into every day and every moment. It is a great part of our equipping is our ability to master the sin within. It's a great part of our equipping. I can tell you many people, many powerful people of God, their story did not end well because of sin. Many powerfully anointed, real people of God. It's why Jesus came. It's for a people who looks like him, for a people who can operate like he operated, a people who can rightly reflect him. It's a miracle thing to even think about. Most of us, we don't see it as a bar to go for. Most of us, we operate as the sinner saved instead of the saint who occasionally sins. But you see, The world can be changed by one who looks different, who is different than who they are.
in a good way. Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And you understand? It teaches us to do that. It's not just Jesus come into my life and bam, all that stuff is broken off of me and I am now bulletproof. Anybody that's been a Christian more than about 30 seconds knows that's not true. It's still coming at me. It still knows my name. It's got my number. It knows how to take me out. Nothing knows me better than God except, well, nothing knows me better than my sin condition except God. It knows me. It knows where every skeleton is. It knows where every superficial lie is. It knows where every fear is, where every bias. It knows where they all are. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. That means in this evil age. In this time where Satan is active and capable in our lives. That's the environment it's talking about. That's the one. You see, it's about today. We can look and be like Jesus. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of the great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us, from all wickedness, and to purify himself as a people that are his very own. To purify his people, a people that are his very own, to do what's good. That's a gospel people. That's a kingdom people. That's a people That the world is waiting to encounter. That people. Truth is the gospel. The truth is a critical part. What is true becomes incredibly, incredibly important. More important than your experiences. More important than your knowledge. The truth becomes core if you're going to live a life with Jesus. It's going to be the thing that's going to be tested as much as anything is, is your truth really true? Is it real? Is it your truth? Is it your real truth? Because things are going to keep coming after you that are going to challenge that. When hope is put off and put off and put off. When the things you thought were going to happen are good didn't happen. When things go wrong. When you make promises and then you break them. All those things. When you pray for somebody to be healed and they die. Because truth has to shape our experiences. And we keep pushing them together until God brings the truth to the top. Our tendency is to want to allow experiences to change truth. <clears throat> the person who used to go to this church was a leader here. 
I was talking to him years after. He didn't go to church anymore. So we were talking about that, and he said, well, I just really found it didn't work. What didn't work? The Jesus thing, it just didn't work. How do you know it didn't work? Well, I, you know, I prayed for things and they didn't happen. And, um, you know, bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. And just none of it seems to work right. You see, his truth was changed. It's all about the results in his life. Do you know that all the disciples were murdered? Brutally? As was Jesus? They were tortured? They were beat up? But I don't think any of them saw that as a challenge to their truth. So like in the skit last week, what is your truth supposed to do? Is it supposed to protect you from hardship? Is it supposed to protect you from harm, from ill health? Is it supposed to protect you from troubles or protect your family from struggles? You won't really find that in the Scripture. Romans 6, 3, kind of starting in the middle, and 4. All of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live this new life. And then we see that we have this new life, we have this truth, and in Peter we see 1 Peter 3.13, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. I shared this verse a couple of months ago, and the question was, how often do you get asked about the hope that you have? How often is there a hope that is obvious in you and I that someone needs to know about your hope? When we talk about growing the church, we talk about a lot of things, but rarely do we talk about the hope that we have. Rarely do we look at the absence of this obvious hope as part of the dilemma in raising up the church, because that's what it says here. When you have people ask you about this hope, now here's why they're asking you why you have this hope. You know, you, you just got evicted and your car is two months past due. And these things are going on, yet you're full of hope, you're glorifying Jesus, you're, you're praying for the sick, you're doing things, and they're going, either they're crazy or they've got something going. Or they're high. There's something different here. We were talking a couple of weeks ago, one of the folks here and myself and it's that ultimate question when you're talking to strangers, and it's not the question, it's the tone that makes the question a ringer, important. It's that question that goes something like this. What church do you go to? You hear the tone? 
What church do you go to? You see, you know what they're really asking you just in everyday language? Here's what they're really asking you. What God are you serving? Because you've done something. You've said something that has put in play a question mark on how are you wired? What is your truth? You know, you, 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 you're a religious person, but I am not sure where it's coming from. You see, that's the question. Very often, that's a motivating question when I'm in a situation um, and I'm pushed to the back of the line or something goes on. And uh, I'm a person that really does want to call attention to things not working right. You know, okay, they were seated like, you know, 10 minutes after us, they already have their food. Does that look like a failure to you, lady? You see... That's my flesh wanting my food and feeling the injustice of them getting their food before I got my food. And clearly, that's not fair. And now I'm going to make what comes to be more of a personal than professional encounter with this young lady because I want to demand an accounting for the unfairness that I have just experienced. Now, I know she can't fix it. She can't say, Excuse me, Mr. Laswell, let me go get their food and take it back and make them wait until your food comes out, then I will take their food back out. She can't do that. So really, I just would love her to grovel a little bit. I would love her to tell me, I'm really sorry, but, you know, yours um, was burnt, so they're making you a special one for free, you know, stuff like that. Now, I have these... These thoughts are fleeting. They're not big. They used to be, I carried them out. Here's what happens with that thought today. I have an opportunity today to leave an impression on this young lady. I can be the opportunity, the one she remembers at the end of the day. They gave her a hard time. When somebody says, how was your day? She can roll her eyes and she can talk about me. Or I can take the moment here and I can bless someone. I can encourage someone. I can make it about them instead of about me. Then I can tip her very generously. And at the end of the day, when somebody says, how was your day? She can say, you know, there was this one guy. I screwed up his order, yet he was the nicest customer I had today. I have the chance to be that person. I have the opportunity. It's a once in a lifetime. It's alive for me right now. It's in play. Who will I serve? What truth is going to be my truth in this moment? We see that the gospel, a gospel-affected life, it's characterized by love, joy, peace. It lives 
above the day-to-day. It represents humanity completely different, and it's hopeful. These are always true about a gospel person every day. Every day, this is a gospel-affected person. So the gospel-affected life has an appeal to it. Do they see my life and admire it? Do they see my life and it's attractive to them? Do they see my life and believe there must be a secret quality? Has the gospel affected my life the way the gospel suggests it can and does. So the gospel, instead of being just about not going to hell, it's all about today, about the changes that are happening in my life every day. And the gospel is about tomorrow because it produces an eternal life. But I want us to not forget It's about today. It's in play. And it's not here to change my circumstances, but it's here to change me. Therefore, my circumstances no longer control me. We're going to hit these next three slides very quickly. The gospel life is full of joy. In Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, 6 through 8, it just talks about how uh, the Lord's message rang out and it was given with great joy under great suffering. In Hebrews 10, starting in the middle of verse 32, we read how the, the, the believers endured all these conflicts and suffering. They were exposed to insults and persecution. They joyfully accepted the confiscation of their property. What does that even look like? Because they had better and everlasting possessions. It says in 1 Peter, they're filled with an inexpressible and a glorious joy. How the gospel suggests and actually obligates us about loving our enemies. Matthew 5, 43 through 47. You have heard it's the law say, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And that way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. It's important to finish this. He says, For he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. You see, he is the one who is figuring out the justice thing. There's nothing just about that, is there? What he's saying is, I'm I'm pouring out life on the evil and the good. And we're looking at it and, and wondering what's wrong with him? What's wrong with you? This statement is, 
The problem isn't what's wrong with me. The problem is what's wrong with you. You see, you're wanting justice in this moment. But instead of giving you justice against your enemy, what I'd rather give you is grace to love your enemy. I'd rather give you something that helps you be more like me. He goes on in Matthew chapter 5. If you only love the ones who love you, what's the reward? Even the corrupt tax collectors do that. If you're kind to only your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even the pagans or the ungodly do that. But you are perfect. Even as your heavenly father is perfect. Do you see how it implies there's this perfection that Jesus is really calling out of our life and saying, stop acting like this isn't for you to do. This is yours. You were made for a time like this. If you're going to become the peacemaker between African Americans and Angolos, if you're going to become a peacemaker between Muslims and Christians and Hindus and Jews, if you're going to become a peacemaker between Mexico and the United States, if you're going to be any of these things that are relevant to anybody on the planet, this is where it begins for you. All over the planet, people are trying politics and people are trying violence. You and I were made for this time. It is not a time to check out. But we can get our political banner and we can find the right or the wrong in certain people and in certain events and, and we can state a position and we can enter in our views on blogs. But the reality is humanity needs a savior and it needs... To, be someone who will stop a cycle of power and violence. Readying ourselves to be the people of God. Just to show you this chart again, we're not going to go over it. This is where you're beginning, that gospel, the place where there's love and joy and peace and, and kindness and all those things, all those things that Jesus is pumping into us, it's coming into a crowded reality already. It's coming into a crowded reality. And on the next slide, we see the effects of sin. My heart has been deceived. My heart is hardened. I am entangled. All those things are true when you become saved. All that is real for us. We're struggling with guilt. We have some shame. We have some regrets. We have some weaknesses in our character. That's where the gospel is being pumped into that environment. You know, you could say it's kind of a toxic place. In the chemical industry, they have kind of a saying. Dilution is the solution to pollution. It's really kind of true. If you can only have this many parts per that much volume, 
but you've got this many parts, you just got to add a lot more volume to make it work. You see, we just allow Jesus to start pouring in the stuff that overcomes our toxicity. And what we've been talking about is in sin, there's a way out. We don't have to be mastered by it. We don't have to be controlled by it. What we've learned over these weeks, we have options, and we can win over it every time. We also need to remember, there is always something to be gained in temptation or in a condition of sin. There's always something to be gained. The point is to never come to zero, to always gain more out of it. Forgiveness, we don't want it to bring us to zero. We want it to get back something that we didn't have to begin with. Some of your greatest opportunities to grow, to be healed, and to find truth will be in hardship. It's interesting how the church historically, has always grown better in persecution. If you look over time, it just seems to do better in adversity. This is about being an offensive time, not being a defensive time. The idea of taking on sin is about the offense. It's about gaining ground. It's about taking what has been taken. It's not just about not doing something wrong. I was talking to somebody this morning. I said, how are you doing? How are you doing in, with Jesus? Uh, okay. Okay. What do you mean okay? Well, you had some struggles. What kind of struggles? Oh, thoughts, other things. Listed some other things. Listed not really reading the Bible much this week. I like this person's answers. You see, they connected together. Wow, I'm, I'm struggling, but I'm not really feeding stuff into that toxicity to help me. I'm just struggling. We do that sometimes, don't we? Here's where sin is going to hit you. It's going to affect your relationships. Sin is going to affect your relationships. It's going to cause strife between you and your kids. You and your spouse. You and your God. You and your boss. You and your employee. Sin does that. Sin breaks up relationships. That's what it does. It breaks up relationships. Sin will go after your self-value. And sin will attack your purpose. It will try 
to attack your purpose for existing. But the scripture tells us that these troubles, we should see them as a food source. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now, what is he smoking, huh? Man, when you got really a lot of troubles and everything, that's when you need to really get excited. This is awesome. I've had people do that to me. Oh, you know, this happened to me. Oh, that's awesome. What's God doing? I'm like, boy, you're a jerk, man. But there was some real truth to what they said. It's an opportunity of great joy. Have you, got a, have you got a struggle today? Is something kicking your butt today? It's an opportunity of great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Untested faith is nothing. It's like having a, a rocket you're never going to shoot to the moon. It doesn't do anything. All tested faith is, is faith that's been used. It's been put to use. It's faith that produced something. It did something. And it's saying in those moments of trial and struggle, we have a great opportunity to trust in the truth, to reach for the things of Jesus instead of the things I normally can reach for. I have an opportunity to go the opposite way of the normal way that I go. I have an opportunity to be in a scenario, in a situation where somebody looks at me and they say, what church do you go to? It's not about my church. It's about my God. You see, it's about my God loving you and wanting to make a statement of that love today. This moment is not about me or it's not about food. This moment is about Jesus wanting to say he loves you and today he wants you to know. It's about us being willing to be personal for someone else and expressing the love of Jesus to someone and let it catch them off guard. You say, when I do that, they say, what, what church do you go to? Not really asking about my church. Asking about my faith. My God, who does this? So your endurance has a chance to grow. His statement, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, there's that word again, you will be perfect and complete, 
needing nothing. Now, you can get caught up in perfect and needing nothing, and what does this mean? Does this mean I won't need God anymore? Of course it doesn't mean that. This is somebody representing God. What he's saying is, you will be functioning in the gospel. You will be functioning in a way that your circumstances no longer make you needy. I like it in the message. Same, same passage, just in the message. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. Oh, that lightens the load, doesn't it? You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. You see, under the test, then, then I will know, do I reach for the hammer or do I keep the heart of God? I will know a lot more about me after I experience those trials. I will know more about me. How many of you have been in a situation where you fell, just in some way you, 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 you let down your faith or something, and you were shocked at how quickly and easily you fell? Any, anybody here? Man, I, I've had those moments, and I go, wow. I, I, I was like a house of cards, a cheap suit. I just collapsed. I might have told this story years ago, but I was with some other people going to a, a men's shelter uh, in downtown Houston to minister the, the gospel to them. One of the homeless people kind of caught us outside and was, you know, you know, some mild harassment, not a big deal, but it kind of, he went in with us, and, and there was a female in our group, and he kept, I felt like he was, you know, leaning on her pretty hard, just putting pressure on her, and, and uh, was starting to make me a little bit, a little bit angry, and um, anyway, so I, I kind of reached a little bit of a boiling point, not her, I did, and uh, so I you know, I yelled something at him. I, I, I got in his face. So he got in my face. And, I mean, it was on. So I have this Bible in my hand. This is your pastor speaking, okay? Have my, I just throw that Bible down, and I just jump on this guy. And, uh, and so these, you know, they have these bouncers in there. They pull me off, and they pull him back, and, and they kick us both out of the, out of the shelter, you know, throw you out, throw your Bible out, and, then my friends had to leave with me and kind of find we were in the wrong shelter to begin with. But, um, but it was hard for me now to go to the other shelter, you know. I'm here to represent the love of Jesus. I just got kicked out of the other place for fighting. But, um, you know, I was, it was, took me years to get over that, how, how quickly something went wrong in me. And, and really having to process with the Lord. What was that? What was that? Your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. 
So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. Our equipping as the people of the gospel who were born for such a time as this, and I tell you, we have a difficult world right now, and I think it's going to continue to spiral. I think it is a time for the church to have some substance, to have something that it offers beyond a moral code and divorce care and those things. It's going to have to have some substance. And I believe not just in this church, but churches across the world, God is calling his church. I want you to be and I will make you a people for this time. Your past is in play. Your truth is being challenged. The tools you have on how you deal with adversity are being challenged. And your equipping for the future is now. It's why sin matters. Not because you're going to go to heaven or hell. Not because you're called or not called. It's not because of any of that. It's because when we allow Christ to come in and we do the part of submitting and discipline, we say, I'm going to walk with you in every way I can. Every addiction is going to lose its power over me because of the gospel. Every judgment I have is going to lose power to judge anymore because of the gospel. I will spend my days and nights at the cross as I need to, that I might be a, t a people for today. That's God's call for us. We were made for just such time as this. We have great, great hope. If you would stand.